Hey, Fitness Business Secrets listeners, we are into part two of my interview with Kisa Davison. In today's episode, you're going to learn how to buy your next gym location with only $5,000 down and no loan from the bank. This is how Kisa does it. Also, you're going to find out the net profit margins that she gets for her well-run gym. In addition, we're going to learn about her process to track conversions from lead to new sign-up accurately and get this with no fancy computer software. Finally, you'll learn her optimized risk expansion model. Have you ever thought about growing your gym but uh, not really wanting to open a whole nother one unless you duplicated yourself, of course, and setting up the technicals of a franchise wasn't appetizing to you? Then make sure to take out your notepad because she's going to share a brilliant and very unique type of expansion strategy that you could use for your gym that we're going to call the joint venture model. Stay tuned. Fitness coaches get more clients by learning the secret techniques successful trainers and gym owners are using to grow their business in person and online. Create multiple streams of income by training clients online, selling challenges, and growing your membership. This is the Fitness Business Secrets Podcast, and I'm your host, Christy Oshita. I've built two fitness businesses to about a half million dollars each by improving marketing, sales, and operations. Let's grow your sales and your clients. Before we get to the show, I just wanted to share what I've been working on with the fitness challenge. So I know I've been talking about it for a while, but it turns out writing an amazing fitness challenge results manual, a meal plan, emails, text messages, and also thinking through a way to set up the competition so that everyone in the challenge wants to post a ton of social media posts that leads back to your page, your Facebook page, is kind of overwhelming. So lately I've tried to take my own advice, which is to somehow delegate. And that's kind of hard when you don't have a big team to delegate to, because trust me, I would, I would like to delegate. But the good news is things have been speeding up because I have hired a new team member and she's working out really great, helping me create great content, think things through, write it out, edit the document. It's amazing. So I'm super excited about that. And right now, the goal is still the end of June. Won't give you the exact date, but I think we're right on track. And something cool that we're going to add in is we're, I'm going to do different graphic sets for the challenges. So even if you're a yoga Pilates studio and you want to put on this challenge for everyone who's excited to get back into their health and their fitness, or you're a boot camp, like co-ed training studio, or maybe very feminine, female focused, we're going to have different graphic sets just for you to use to match your feeling of your studio or your fitness business. So I'm so excited. Thanks for supporting me along the way. And I can't wait to update you next week because I think I'm going to be close to releasing just like a pre-launch to whoever's on my list. Enjoy the show. I'm excited because we're going to listen to part two of my interview with Kisa Davison, who is the co-founder and head coach at Straight Blast Gym of Montana. It actually has three locations. In addition, she coaches other fitness entrepreneurs and has four nearly grown kids. On her plate, she also manages her family's residential construction company and investment properties and is really big into charity. 11 years ago, in the middle of a recession, a personal crisis, and a career crisis, 
she and her husband with four kids opened a brand new gym and they haven't looked back since. Here is part two of my interview with Kisa. I love it. And I think you're, you're really going back to how you bring so much experience because that's a unique way to buy a commercial building. Just to help our listeners who might not be as um, familiar with certain real estate terms, when you say carry a contract, what does that mean with, what is the relationship with the seller? So that means that the seller is financing the property purchase. And it's a li- the terminology is a little bit different state to state, but basically I would purchase a building from you and we record that as a purchase. So I now own the building, but then we file a deed of trust or I'm sorry, a trust indenture. So now there's a piece of paper that's filed at the courthouse that says you are in first position that you basically have an interest in this property because you lent me the money to purchase this property. You basically are acting as the bank. In the case of owners carrying contracts, what it does, it's really great for owners who are at that stage of retirement because now, instead of having this lump sum payment, maybe they purchased the building 10 years ago, 20 years ago, it's been in the family for however many decades. Now, instead of having this lump sum payment, that they now have to claim, you know, on their taxes, they're getting instead a monthly income as, you know, an interest and in principal. So they're making interest and then the principal amount of that payment is also paying down the loan. Eventually, when, when we refinance, then the owner obviously is going to see a profit from that in theory. Yeah, that's, that's great. So the seller tech uh, kind of gives you a loan, uh, a seller finance mm-hmm. loan, so you could buy the property. Do you put any money down? I mean, do you do a large yes. down payment? Anywhere from, we've done down payments. We've done actually a lot of owner financing over the years. And the down payments, typically you're still looking at a 20 to 25% down payment. But what's nice is because the owner's financing, they can give some flexibility. So maybe if I'm going to buy a building from you that's just for round numbers, let's say it's a $100,000 building, 20% of that would be $20,000. Well, if I don't have $20,000, I might say, um, hey, Christy, I've got $5,000, and will you take $5,000 today? I'll start my monthly payments right away, but now three months from now, I'm going to give you another $5,000, then three months later, another five, and then three months later, another five. So within the first year, you'll have your $20,000 down, and I'm going to pay you interest or 5% interest, whatever it's, you know, usually one or two points above what you could get from a bank. Yeah. Oh, so you, so So you can be really flexible. Yeah. So you even do interest. So you do is if the down payment, you'll do a payment plan and and put that on in some interest on that too, in addition to the regular payments. Yep, exactly. Oh, that's cool. Okay. And with the agreement with the seller, do you guys pre-agree on a, a balloon payment at some point where they expect to be refinanced at? Exactly. Yeah. Usually a two-year, five-year balloon is the term that we work with because typically within two to five years, we've established enough equity that not in, like I said, not just equity, but big picture. Now we've got a business that's been profitable in this location for two to five years. And that's what a bank wants to see in a commercial, that you're not just going to purchase this commercial building that's been vacant for 10 years, but you're going to purchase this building that has a thriving business in it so that there's some guaranteed income. And so that balloon payment is typically two to five years. 
Yeah, that's that's really neat. For the interest rate for the regular monthly payments, you mentioned five to six. So, like, what's an example? Let's say a couple a month ago, let's say it was three and a half or four percent uh-huh. to get from a bank, or maybe even four and a half percent on a commercial. So, you would would you you basically offer to pay uh, two one to two percent above that? Yeah. Um, usually 1% on a secured, 2 to 3% on an unsecured. So we've had private financiers who have just lent us cash money for business ventures or for just whatever it is that we're doing, whatever it is that we're developing. And that percentage can be anywhere from 6 to 8% on unsecured. But for secured, meaning there's something that they can have if you leave town and split. So secured, the security, the collateral would be the building itself. And in that case, we're, if the interest rate is four, we usually offer five. So we usually offer a percentage above. Hmm. Yeah. For the, the properties you're buying for your gyms, those were secured with the building. Correct. Got it. Okay. That is so brilliant. I, I'm so happy that you're talking about uh, the real estate angle in, in your, the gym business, because I don't think most people have talked about it's really creative. And then you're even talking about partnering at some point with, with your mm-hmm. JV partners. So for the, let's say the, let's say they put the 20% in and it's, you know, 60 or hundred thousand dollars. How much do you usually need? Do you need to put in more than that to, to get all the equipment to do the fix out, the build out for it? Sometimes, but not, not typically. And again, our biggest expense when we open a gym is really at the mats the kind of tatami type mats that we purchase, they can cost anywhere from 60 to a hundred dollars per mat. And so we're usually talking about 10 to 15 to $20,000 in just mat costs than to outfit a new location. So that's just the jujitsu mats. Then, you know, a couple thousand dollars more for yoga equipment, maybe another 10 grand for well, 10 to 20 grand for weight equipment, depending on what kind of weight equipment you get. And then you've got obviously a sales and marketing budget up front that really is quite important in addition to your payroll costs and insurance is also a big line item, but those are, those are the biggest ones. Yeah. And I have a question curious because I've come to the idea and and it's it's different per market and rent and if you own the building, but what what do you generally consider as a healthy profit margin? So that's after you take out pretty much all expenses, including rent and insurance. How much do you, as a percentage, do you think is healthy for like maybe for, I guess from your experience, from your gym, what do you usually see? So we shoot for 20% average over the course of the year, over the course of the last 12 months. And what we want is for ideally, right, every month you're hitting a 20% margin. 15%, it's time to, we got to make some changes. Anything less than 10%, you're going backwards. Gosh, okay. For the market so, budget, uh-huh, go ahead, sorry. So we have, and I do think this is a really important habit for every business owner, but particularly in the fitness business where seasons can change what you, what you're looking at for your revenue. We have a monthly, we call it our monthly meeting of the minds, but it's basically a monthly financial meeting on the second Thursday of, well, now we have so many businesses, it's second Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday. 
of every month we sit down with our accountant and we look at the books for the month prior. So we look at what all of our revenue, what all our, all of our expenses are. And then we also sit down and look at our stats. So our sales stats are operational stats, meaning if I have 20 students that are supposed to be showing up to, well, if I have 457 students that are supposed to be showing up to classes two to three times a week, how many of those students are actually showing up to those classes, which are retention stat. And we have averages because we've been doing this for the last, we've been running by stats for the last eight years, eight, nine, year, nine years. We have such historical data that we know, okay, 50% of every, of all the leads we get end up being signups. And there's all these steps that happen between the time someone calls and the time they actually sign up for a membership. Every one of those steps has an average stat. So in our monthly financial meetings, we're not only reviewing what happened in the money sense, but we're also reviewing what's happened in the sales and marketing statistics and also in the operational statistics. That's awesome. My big question is, how do you track that? We were using Infusionsoft and we were doing different forms, but the reason, one of the reasons ours, my, my stats, I didn't always trust them was because it would rely on a salesperson to do something. And I don't know if they would always do it. Maybe I didn't have as invested of a tribe as you. How do you make sure, what software do you use to well, make sure every num number is correct? Human error is always, always, always an issue. And even as committed as our tribe is, people just forget. And so, in fact, I forget sometimes to log my students into classes. We use MindBody for, currently we're using MindBody. We are actively in conversations with KickSight because they have some, some features that we're very interested in that MindBody doesn't have. And KickSight's a little bit smaller of a company and I appreciate how much they are willing to work to develop and modify the software to be the way we want it. That said, we have a paper and automated system for stats. Our sales stats are handled literally on a clipboard at the front desk. And then every week, those stats are scanned and emailed to one of our admins and she puts everything into an Excel workbook that we've developed over the years. So I'm not saying it's a foolproof system. We have the same human error issues, but like I try to remind my husband and I remind myself of this as well, that's the job of a manager. And if we are the managers, for example, as we are of our Calspell location, then it becomes, we become the one neck to grab when the stats are wrong. So I, once a week, I usually will look back through our mind body and make sure that the coaches are checking their students in. And if they're not, I text them and say, hey, please remember to log your students for your Tuesday 8 a.m. class. And then that just helps make my job easier than at the end of the month when I compile all those stats together. In my body, the actual attendance stats are very easy to pull. We've got a report that makes it really easy. But the sales and marketing stats are mostly, mostly done the old-fashioned way. Mm, I see. So like when they come in, you put down their name new, or when they call, I'm assuming it starts when they call yeah. or email. Exactly. Every lead gets plugged in and it's always with the initial of the person who captured that lead. And then those, 
then if there's an appointment, so we have consultation appointments where people come in and they get a free private lesson, a tour of the gym. We sit down and talk about what their goals are. We figure out what kind of a program is going to work for them. We present to them different pricing options depending on what kind of a program they're looking for. And that consultation appointment, whoever does that appointment would put their initial. And if they enrolled from that appointment, that's a separate category. So if I have five consultations on one day, I'm always hoping to get at least three signups out of those five consultations. Uh, four is ideal. If I get five out of five signups, then it's probably either a really good day or something's wrong because we usually see about a 65 to 80% signup from consultation appointments. Those are good numbers for when you, to get, I'm just curious how that paperwork works to, so it's not, because it sounds like it, it works generally good and so it must not be too complicated, which I have to remind myself not to do. So for the paper, is it just, does the prospect from the phone call to the consultation to maybe even the follow-up, do they stay on one piece of paper and you kind of mark off their No, response? we're not, okay. we're and I think this is where I started to overcomplicate this process as well when we were developing it was that I felt like I needed to drill down and see exactly what happened to John Doe when he called in. And instead we don't worry about who it is. It's just the initial of the, of the, of the employee who is accepted that has been the lead on that lead that came in or who did the consultation. So for example, if Ryan, who I mentioned before, if he takes a phone call, he writes an R next to phone call, meaning it's a lead that came in by a phone call. Then from that phone call, if he schedules an appointment, he writes an R next to scheduled appointment. Then say that same day, Leah has an appointment, but it's somebody different who scheduled their appointment two days ago. She still writes on that same day that she has the appointment, L, consult for Leah. And then if she signed that person up, she would write an L for enrollment. Sometimes people will have their consult appointments and they don't actually come in and enroll for a couple of days. It's not, we're not interested in tying those, those pieces together. So it is, it, you, I think you hit on a really good point that I think we have a tendency to overcomplicate things. And if you can take a step back and say, okay, what's necessary here and what's unnecessary, let go of the things that are unnecessary, bottle down or double down on the things that are necessary. It would be nice to have, to be able to track that individual lead through the whole process. But in 11 years of doing this, I've never actually done that. I've just found that my effort is better spent doing other things. Yeah, that makes sense. And it sounds like it's working. So when Ryan, so Ryan has a piece of paper, when somebody calls in, do they get their own piece of paper? The lead gets their own piece of paper and you don't necessarily put the name on it and then... So when somebody calls in, we have a conversation with them about what it is that they're looking for. And then when they, if they decide that they're going to schedule an appointment, Ryan then is immediately putting that information into our mind body system. Mm. And from that, then after he schedules that appointment, there's lots of notes in there as well. So that that poor person doesn't have to repeat themselves over and over again then Ryan will notify wh whoever the consultant is that he scheduled that appointment with. And typically that happens that we use band as our back office communication system because group texts get so lost. And so uh, band is just an app that everybody downloads on their phone and we have different groups for different reasons. 
And so Ryan would then send out a message in our band application. Hey, Leah, I scheduled your appointment 10 o'clock on Thursday with so-and-so. She's looking for this. She's a friend of, you know, another one of our members. Here's her phone number. Then Leah knows, okay, sweet. Leah then uh, makes a follow-up phone call, uh, a reminder call 24 hours prior to that appointment to make sure that Jane remembers that she has an appointment, is comfortable, you know, knows what she needs to do. And then Leah is able to connect with her as well. This really goes back to, again, remember, we're not just a facility where people work out, we're a tribe. We want people to feel like they're, they're not only welcome, but that they're valued, appreciated, and that we're excited to have them as part of our growing tribe. Yeah. Yeah. So, so Leah, puts, you know, she connects with a, a prospect, mm-hmm. cr- you know, creates that sense of the tribe, puts the notes in, in mind body. Is, is that right? Yep. Yeah. She might put some notes in mind body. If there's new information, if the, mm-hmm. that information is, she's using mind body really as just a reminder of who this person is and what they're looking for. Mm-hmm. And then remember too, that the hardest thing from the people who need us the most are the people who will have the hardest time getting out of their car, opening the front door and walking in. And so we put a lot of effort, my staff, more effort goes into new members and prospective members than honestly goes into our existing members because of that. In the beginning, they really have to be handheld. They have to be reassured so that they continue to build this habit of coming back, coming back, coming back. And it all starts with that very first encounter. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, it's scary. I think even for me, if I were to go to a new gym, I have the same fears, even if I've had 100%. a gym. Still scared. Yeah. No, it's still, I, I mean, I do that when I travel, I'll drop into a yoga class. And I've been training in, with this Iyengar community for 16 years. And I still drop into a class and I, it's, it's a cold sweat right before I open the front door. But to, to embrace that humanity is a key to success for any of our businesses. Yeah. Yeah. And I like it. And it's, it's so great that you're so clear on what the experience of this prospect is. So you, your team is really addressing it and taking the time because I don't think that that pain that the prospect is feeling is so clear to everyone. So you're able Mm -mm. to really, really solve it and make them feel part of the tribe. So yeah, yeah. absolutely. You know, when I first hear about it, if it's MMA, jiu-jitsu, the per- person's first impression is this is this is a tough gym. There's a lot of guards <laughs> yeah. here. There's a lot of sweat here. But then you, you're you come from a yoga background, so yeah. How do you? How many people come to call in because of yoga, and how do you overcome the initial stereotype that this? If I'm looking for yoga, this is not the yoga place. A couple of things. I think that what we've done worldwide as, as an organization is, is pretty incredible. And it's very, very, very important for the development, not just of, of our individual gyms, but for the development of all of humanity. And that is that what we, and we tell people this all the time. Look, if you walk into a jujitsu, an MMA gym anywhere in the world, and you want to see what they're really about, walk in and look at the mat. Who's on the mat? The gym that I want to belong to and the gym that, I'm, that I want to cultivate is a gym that has 
all ages, all sizes, shapes, abilities, backgrounds, men and women, grandmas, and 22-year-old, you know, hard body MMA fighters. And it, that should be, the demographic on that mat should be, should represent the demographic of society as a whole. I say that, and I say that emphatically because I think the work that we do on the mats in jujitsu and the work that we do on the mats in yoga is key to all of us developing individually. And when we can all come together and train together and not just get along, but learn from each other, I know that the work that we all do within that gym will make our communities better communities and the larger society a better society. Now, that said, it happens all the time. People will say, and there, uh, we had a big rift actually at our Cowspell location because when we started you know, yes, we were SBG, but they would always call it the yoga room, the yoga room, the yoga room, because literally I taught in that first 750 square foot location, I was teaching yoga in this cinder block kind of storage room, no windows. The only bit of fresh air that we had was because the, the wall, the corner of the cinder block wall was separated and the snow would sometimes fly through. <laughs> it, was such, it was so awful. But my, you know, my beginning students always referred to it as the yoga room. And so the problem became as we developed that now we had these kind of two separate identities and we've worked really hard over the last few years to merge those two identities for all the same reasons I just described that I want for people to understand that it's important for us to come together as a whole, regardless of what our backgrounds are, regardless of what we think it is that we need, then it boils down to the coach's responsibility to make sure that everyone who shows up for their class feels like they belong there. So making sure that they connect, making sure that they set up an environment that is focused more on the essence of the practice rather than, you know, being the cool kid or being the fan, you know, working the fancy moves. You know, the underlying, I think, model of teaching that I was talking about before, aliveness, what makes aliveness work is that we really focus on fundamentals. And when you focus on fundamentals, it, it, my coach, Matt says, he says a lot more eloquently than I will, but he says, you know, a fundamental you know as such because it transcends the zip code. It transcends the age. It transcends the location. It transcends what all the in individual attributes are that someone would bring to them. So for example, in, in a yoga posture, I'm going to do Uttita Trikonasana, triangle pose. No matter how flexible I am or how stiff I am, I should be able to still touch on the essence of the pose. And a good coach can look out across a room of all different ages and sizes and, and abilities and teach in a way that everyone can understand the essence of that pose. I realize I rambled a little bit there, but I <laughs> no. think that method of coaching creates the environment and the environment is a welcoming environment. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what I'm hearing is just so much attention to detail to culture and conveying that culture and repeating that. And that since you've been able to, to really get that through to your students, you now even have these uh, mentees who are opening gyms who can, without 
you know, the usual, okay, you do 10 hours of training, they already have that culture and yeah. the welcomingness kind of blends the yoga and the mixed martial arts part together. So I yep. think that's, that's brilliant. I had one more question that I just, I just yeah. thought was so interesting. You mentioned, so the 20% that the uh, JV partner would put down between 60 to 100, and it sounds like usually that amount will cover the, the startup costs for the gym. And then you mentioned like a tiered thing where if they reach certain milestones, they get a bigger percentage. How does that work? Correct. So the milestones we look at are really our key indicators, which would be, for example, gross revenue, number of students, net profit, and then a cancellation rate. Those are kind of our, our four big key indicators that we're looking at. And so we set milestones that the, the junior partners, if they meet a certain milestone, they start maybe at 20%, they meet a certain milestone for three months in a row. Because remember, they're managing as well. They're not just silent owners. They're managing the day-to-day operations. We are not managing the day-to-day operations at all. We're simply training them and mentoring them to manage the day-to-day operations. We, we say here, here's how you do it. And now we're going to check in every week and make sure that you're doing it the way it needs to be done or every day if that's what it is needed. If they meet those milestones for three months in a row, now they bump up to 30% owners with no additional funds required. So basically it's sweat equity that they've put into it that's, that now gives them an additional 10% in ownership. And then they meet the next set of milestones, but it's got to be three consecutive months. Now they're going to bump up to 40%. And then they meet the last set of milestones, three consecutive months. Now they're going to bump up to 49%. They're never more than 49% at this point. At some time in the future, we might decide to sell out the remaining, our remaining 51% to them. But it was important to my husband and I that we kept the, you know, that we were the majority partners, the senior partners, because we started this from scratch and the reputation of SBG is very, very important to us. Yeah, absolutely. That is so interesting. I I think I learned a lot, just like that specific structure. Uh, It's brilliant because it's so helpful to have a partner that's invested and is there, but how do you structure it? And this is like, wow, it's, that's awesome. Yeah. And so this JV partner can go in and say, you know, in, if I have this correct in total nine months, three, 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 if they reach these milestones, they can get to 49%, which is, you know, pretty much uh, almost 50%, but you're, you guys are the decision makers, the final decision makers. If yeah. they don't make a milestone, like if they miss it, how, do, do, are they able to, do they just say, okay, next, once you start over and if you get it in three months, then you can reach that? Yep, absolutely. And, you know, we're, again, it's, let me be clear that, you know, we give them the tools, we give them the training, we give them the support, but we don't just stand back and say, all right, let's watch you hit your milestone. We are very much a part of meeting those milestones with them. We are 100% invested in them meeting all their milestones. And I think that's really important that, and it's a question that we asked ourselves before we went into business with these partners is, okay, do we want to be 5149 with this particular person? Okay, we do. All right. Are we committed to coaching them to get their milestones and to hit their 49%? Or is there any animosity? Is there any, you know, what's the rub here? Because I think you have to be as 
as a partner, you have to be your partner's number one cheerleader. And again, I think that applies not just to business partnerships, but also marriage, any partnerships you have. And if you can't be your partner's number one cheerleader, then you have to ask yourself why. You got to figure that out or you got to cut your losses and, and go. Yeah. Does So does this structure, did you guys think of this structure partially because then if there's, it's hard to predict everything, if there's a situation where you guys are not agreeing and, and they don't reach the 40%, they're at 30, then it allows you guys to buy them out if you felt like it? Yes, absolutely. That's smart. Do they take a salary during, or is it up to them? Like, do they get paid for these, because it's a startup during the first few months? It depends, but in in all cases, we've we've all bypassed the salary for the for the first few months until you know we've got revenue coming in. But for sure, and even in that case, a salary is stepped up based on mm-hmm. the revenue that's coming in. Again, if I'm, for example, Gus and Becca, our partners in Missoula, I'm their number one cheerleader. Well, I'm not going to ask them to give their blood, sweat, and tears and then go home and, you know, eat refried beans out of a can. We're looking at them as whole individuals, as a whole family. You know, they have a child that is a godsend to me in many ways. And so I'm committed to making sure that we've set the situation up that they can be successful and happy and healthy. That makes sense. So something, it sounds like maybe you set up it where they, both everyone's kind of bypassing some profit in the beginning, but then after a few months, you know, hopefully we've done it where you guys have done it right. You guys can start taking a salary and then they'll also get, you know, that percentage of profit if the business is throwing off any profit. Exactly. That is so cool. Brilliant. Well, I mean, I know I've taken up a lot of your time, a bit longer than I thought, but I am fascinated with how creative you guys have been and smart with from a real estate perspective and from partnership. So, you know, if anybody wants to reach out to you and just, you know, maybe has more questions or, you know, about coaching, how can they reach you? You know, email's best, but I am accessible on social media on Facebook and Instagram as well, Kisa Davison. I'm not very creative when it comes to my name. It's just my first name and last name. But I welcome any and all inquiries. I just, I think that the more we come together and the more we learn, the better we all become. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And it sounds like that's your mantra for, well, for your your gyms as a tribe of about touching so many lives and also for yourself. So Thanks so much for sharing your positive energy and your really smart experience. Absolutely. You're welcome. And thank you so much for the invitation. Thanks, Kisa. Take care. Hey, thanks for listening. Oh, I have three freebies. Number one, get your full edited transcription with bullet points of the key lessons from today's show on our website, fitnesssecrets.co. That's fitnesssecrets with an S at the end dot C-O. While you're there, subscribe to our newsletter, which gets you access to our monthly freebie marketing and operations content that you can use for your own fitness business. Freebie number two. If you enjoyed the show, make sure to subscribe to the show in your podcast player by hitting the subscribe button. Since the show happens because of listeners like you, could you also leave a review? If you email us your review at support at fitnessSecrets.co, you'll receive a complimentary one-hour coaching call with me. 
and a $150 credit towards the first challenge that we will be releasing soon. Finally, freebie number three. We started the Fitness Secrets Facebook group. I know thinking and designing of new marketing campaigns, planning out your operations each month for your fitness clients is exhausting. Our goal is for the group to help you plan out your marketing, plan out your operations so you can get more clients efficiently. To join, go to facebook.com and search Fitness Business Secrets. Thanks so much for listening. I can't wait to talk to you in the next episode.